Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oak. And I'm Connor Oaks. And welcome back to our podcast, Too Many Lawyers. Uh, if you're fairly new, what the heck is the show about? Well, we talk about the top legal stories of the week. Um, and the title, Too Many Lawyers, means just what it sounds like. There are too many lawyers, at least if they're bad ones in my personal Too many opinion. lawyers to make sense of for a normal, regular human being. So hopefully we can help with that. Yeah. Too many judges, too many regulations, too, too many, many everything. politicians. Yeah. So Connor and I are legal analysts. I'm a boomer libertarian. He's a millennial progressive. And we talk about this stuff, hopefully with some respect and uh, without food fights. So what are our three top stories today? First is Brittany getting ripped off. We've taken a deep dive into conservatorship, and uh, it's not as boring as it sounds, especially if, if it involves Brittany barely clothed. So that's topic one. Number two is Cuomo toast. And I'm not talking about breakfast food here. I'm talking about it. Can this guy hold on? And finally, Ashley Babbitt, you know her as the QAnon lady who was shot dead in the Capitol Hill riot, the January 6th Capitol riot. Her parents are suing the Capitol Police for $10 million for wrongful death. So we're going to wow. probe whether there's some value to that. And of course, as always, at the end of the program, uh, our very favorite segment, Guess the Verdict, where Connor puts his thinking cap on, tries to guess the outcome of uh, an interesting case. This one involves a jockstrap and a casino. I'll just give you a little bit of a hint as to what this is about. A jockstrap and a casino, not necessarily in that order. So, before we get to Brittany, i got to give you my pet peeve of the week, sure. Connor. Maybe I'm just being grumpy and old-fashioned here, but uh, we're watching the Olympics, yeah. and I'm watching the beach volleyball. Congratulations to the ladies. Mm -hmm. Why the hell do people on both teams, they could be from Liechtenstein or Communist China, oh, not Russia, because... Uh, R Russian Olympic Committee, right? Yeah. How yeah. how the hell did they do that, boy? Was Putin a good negotiator? If Russia was excluded from the Olympics because right. of doping, right? How come all the Russians are scooping up all the medals, saying, "Oh, they're not from Russia, they're from <laughs> Russian Olympic Committee." So we got a. What does that mean? We got a couple of. And uh, how pet bad pigs. is my Russian impersonation? No, it's great. No, it, uh, it is a very complicated uh, situation where uh, a, a lot of. Uh, competitors from Russian affiliated uh, states um, were able to uh, go to the uh, International Olympic Committee and say, look, we are being unfairly excluded. You've got no no reason to believe that we were involved in the doping uh, scandal specifically, and you're, we're going to miss our only maybe chance to participate in the Olympics. So they caved. So the IOC caved and created this. You can't say the word Russia. It doesn't say R-U-S-S. And we're not it going to add says, the, your medals to the 
Historical right. total exactly. of it the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. ROC. So, mm. yeah, what are the odds that the Russians are adding those to their own totals internally? I would think that they were most general. Russian people probably consider these athletes to be uh, Russian athletes, obviously. They um, probably also added a whole bunch of them from 1984 when they figure, well, if we had been there, we would have oh, yeah. won. We would have won for sure. Yeah. Crushed. All right, so uh, here here's my pet peeve. Yeah, um, I'm women's watching, volleyball. I'm watching the women's volleyball, mm-hmm. and so uh, somebody serves the the ball right into the old net, and down it goes into the sand. What do the two of them do to each other? They hug and they high five. They slap hands. <laughs> oh, really? That's uh, maybe this is a, a typo I've just watched. Right, right, right. Couple of couple of plays later, somebody smacks it so far goes into the ocean. Okay, right. right. Uh, they hug and they slap hands. And I've noticed this. Yeah. Doubles tennis as well, Connor. Double fault in a crucial moment in the that, match. Oh, let's slap hands. You you miss a free throw in, in the college basketball or the NBA. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I've been working for 17 years for this championship. We just lost it because Wilbur here missed a free throw. Slap hands, pal. So you're saying. Why do they act happy you're saying, when something bad happens? You're saying they get uh, participation trophies and you don't like these darn no, millennials I, you know, getting their I, participation I, I love to. Talking about participation trophies. I'm not sure this is precisely analogous. Do you see any rationale oh, yeah. for acting hap hap slap happy I mean, when something bad happened? Absolutely. We like success and confidence and happiness are self-fulfilling prophecies. When you say I am happy, you feel happier. When you go do the things that a happy person does, you get happier. You when you say I have more confidence, you act like you have more confidence, you do have more confidence. Mm-hmm. The human brain is a bizarre uh, machine. And these people know that their job is to cheat it. That their job is to confuse their own brain into saying, shake it off, pretend it didn't happen, act like you just had a good move, uh, just guess. made a good move and had a good uh, good shot. Because you got it. I mean, it doesn't have to make sense. If you could, if, if slapping yourself in the face, you know, before you, you start your race gets your adrenaline pumping, it's, yeah, it's silly and it's irrational. You may you be right. It. Right. But I you have. Just want to trick your body. I have a suggestion. Oh, okay. okay. Here's the rule. Yeah. If you screw up five times in a row, right, you will not get the hug and okay. the hand slap. Okay. You'll get a punch to the stomach. Okay. <laughs> that That's the obligation of every partner. And you don't think your partner would be delighted to follow this rule? Oh, they would. Oh my God! I've worked for 17 years for this, and Tina over here just double falls five away. times in a row. Guess yeah, what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess that couldn't be because that would be maybe the game. But well, beat her up. Give her yeah. the punch in the tummy. For sure, for sure. Just like my it. good idea. idea. Really good idea. Let's talk uh, Britney Spears. I'm a sports psychologist, and I approve of this idea. <laughs> so Britney Spears is um, is she rip being ripped off by this whole conservatorship thing? Now I, I uh, did uh, I was part of Inside Edition's story on Friday, uh, Jim Murray's story on the latest wrinkle in Britney Spears deal, and the right. wrinkle is. The conservator, now apparently, you know, sort of a bifurcated two-part conservatorship. You got one person running the show financially. Right. You got one person running the show from a health the and wellness. The conservator of the body. Yeah. And then the other is, is more of a financial deal. And so what you have is a situation where uh, the health person is in a position to make recommendations. And boy, did she allegedly make a recommendation. She said, you know, since the January, the June 23rd kind of outburst by Britney Spears in court, where she said, I'm enslaved here. They won't let me take my IUD out. Uh, you know, my, my father is this toxic force. Get rid of him. I don't want any more shrinks talking to me. Since then, the conservator allegedly said, you know, Britney 
needs to maybe have a 5150 hold. And that means under California law, there's a, a law, Section 5150, the Health and Welfare Code, something like that, that essentially says if a person is a danger to themselves or others, they should be locked up for 72 hours or even longer to evaluate them and so on. Now, this is something is... we're going to run into throughout the episode here. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. It's called the Lanterman Pettis Short Act or LPS. And so the LPS Act is a part of the uh, the California law. Um, and uh, it came from a guy named Frank Lanterman and then two other um, two other sponsors in the legislature. Uh, and they decided in the 60s, uh, we're going to change the way mental health works in California. We're not going to have involuntary psychological holds placed on people where they're indefinitely held as long as some doctor or a couple of doctors and nurses all say, yeah, this person seems wacky. They need it. Which sounds like There's, a good idea. Yeah. It was a it was a terrible system where prior to the, the 60s, we really kind of just warehoused people um, who had mental health issues and many people who didn't have si- si- uh, significant mental health issues, uh, but we just thought were abnormal and strange. And it's not that we've solved that system completely, but the LPS system says that there's a 5150 hold, which is seven days, or sorry, 72 hours. And then there's a 5250, which is even more serious, which is a 14 day hold. And it's a really good place to start with when talking about Brittany to think like, okay, what's the deal with. Uh, uh, with mental health holds, with uh, conservatorships in California. What's the law say? What's the baseline? What? How bad must your situation be? How dire do things have to be for the, for the government to say somebody else can get control of your body for the next 72 yeah. hours and, and or the- even 14 days, which is massive. And then finally, the, the third part of that equation is a one-year conservatorship under the LPS uh, Act where you go to the court and you say, we want to make this person's decisions, everything from can they drive, can they vote, can they have a firearm, anything important, how do we spend their money, crucially when you're a multimillionaire like Britney Spears, how do we spend their money, where do they live, what do they do? Yeah. So so you're laying out the general uh, setting here. Let me let me give you a couple of specific facts about Britney, and then, mm-hmm. then I want to get your response. And this is a great summary of her situation. She is been denied the freedom to make phone calls, operate a car, or access her money, all the while recording four studio albums, performing in four world tours, and having a four-year Las Vegas residency. So how, how does this add up? How can it be that she, I mean, she was complaining about the fact that, you know, they wouldn't let her take her IUD out. Right. And here you have people who, I mean, take a look at her dad, Jamie Spears. He's got 2.3 million reasons to exaggerate how bad it is for her. Why do I say that? Because in the last 12 years, 2.3 million is the number of dollars he has collected at a rate of $16,000 a month to be her keeper. Yeah. So with that suspicion and everybody sort of surrounding her orbit, you know, cheering for her to continue to build on her $60 million fortune and continue to perform at an elite level, you know, as a, as a judge, I would think you'd be a little skeptical, take all the, the criticism with a grain of salt as to just how bad off she is. Yeah. And note here that we've laid out uh, the structure of how conservatorships work under the Lanterman Petrus uh, Short Act, LPS conservatorships. Those are ordinarily the type of conservatorships that are employed in mental health crisis situations because we're talking about a 72-hour crisis, we're talking about a 14-day crisis, or we might be talking about a one-year crisis. This is the sort of mental health concern where you say this person is temporarily uh, uh, disabled uh, and unable to make their own uh, decisions. 
What Brittany has is even worse than that. She is embroiled in a probate conservatorship, which ordinarily people think of as a a, a permanent conservatorship, a conservatorship because death is permanent. Yeah, right? you're not getting any better from being so old and maybe so uh, you know affected by something like Alzheimer's. You're not going to grow out of that, right? You're not going to be not able unless to go- you're really lucky. Yeah, or the best doctors, right? You're not going to go to some psychologist and and turn this around. This is something that is pr- effectively permanent, likely used for uh, a, a permanent situation. What about Brittany's situation? Sounds like she has permanent mental health. She doesn't have Alzheimer's. She's not 105 years old. And she's just, not schizophrenic. She, yeah, exactly. This is not the vehicle that one would ordinarily... I hope she's not schizophrenic. Right. This is not the vehicle that one would ordinarily use. And even schizophrenic people absolutely would ordinarily be subject to an LPS one-year conservatorship. Now, the one-year conservatorship can be reauthorized at the end of the year, but it has to be. Brittany has been under a conservatorship, a probate, a th- theoretically permanent probate conservatorship since 2008. That means there should have been 13 times that she's had that, uh, that the conservatives had to go into court and say, hey, judge, our conservatorship ran out and we'd like to re-up it for another year. And there's look at all this really good evidence as to why Britney needs this help. And according Meanwhile, to her, she's off recording, to, you know, doing world tours, right. and recording albums. It would be really hard for them to do that, to justify that. Yep. And instead, they've used this schemey way to get a permanent conservatorship when they shouldn't really have been able to do so. And they don't have to justify it. And according to her, she hasn't even been aware until very recently of a right to go into court and challenge the conservatorship. Now, when you hear that, you say, oh, really? You know, you know, she's not stupid. You know, of course, it's logical. You know, she's got lawyers hanging around. And yet somebody pointed out that when the conservatorship is established, a person like Brittany is given a one page, dense, uh, densely written uh, piece of legalese that yeah. if you read really carefully, you could realize, oh, yeah, you could go in and challenge it. Yeah. She probably didn't. I mean, who reads this stuff? You know, you always check. The box on the internet. Right. Oh, yeah, I read the terms and conditions. Of course I did. I mean, it's a sin to lie, but everybody ignores that. Yeah. And so she probably w- was unaware of it. But you know, she's got a pit bull lawyer now, and so yeah. I imagine things are going to be a lot more aggressive in court for her. Yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. And we saw this last week. Um, she filed a uh, uh, an ex parte application, which means you just go into court. You don't have to. Uh, you have long lead times where you wait around for the other side to get your notice in the mail to show up. And then everybody shows up in front of the judge. Ex parte means you just walk in and you say, look, it's just you and me, judge. And it's so important that we didn't even have to tell the other side. We have to do it now. Um, and so she has her new lawyer file this ex parte application to remove her father, James Spears, as Jamie James Spears, as conservator. And he filed his uh, opposition to that ex parte, which is a document stating he, you know, he shouldn't shouldn't be removed as conservator. And the the uh, document itself basically doesn't uh, have any substance. Uh, James Spears document and the supporting declaration, which is like an affidavit where you just make statements uh, under penalty of perjury. Um, it doesn't have any substance in it describing why it was important, is important that Brittany should be. He just uh, wants more notice. Yeah, he just wants more notice and says, you shouldn't have done this ex parte. You shouldn't have done this without you know, giving me notice and letting me show up, uh, even though he could totally show up. Um, and now, you and I are familiar as, as primarily uh, civil uh, litigation lawyers right. with the concept of ex parte 
where you can't actually march into the, the chambers and say, judge, this is so important. I don't want to tell Wilbur. You're supposed to give like overnight notice. Right. Is it before 10 a.m. the is, day before. Yeah. Is it your understanding that they didn't even give the minimal notice? No, they it, did. I believe there wasn't even an objection in James Spears declaration or opposition that they hadn't given the, the one day's notice. But, you know, yeah. the one day you notice. you got to show I really need to have a relief now. Yeah. There would be irreparable injury right. and I'm likely to win down right, the road. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So so it is going to get a lot a lot uglier uh, on the Britney litigation. Oh, front. yeah. It's just hey, starting. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about whether Cuomo is in, va- in fact toast. But first, Connor's going to tell you how to uh, rate and subscribe to uh, Too Many Lawyers. Yeah. So go back to your podcast platform, whatever you're listening to this on. Uh, if you you know have one platform on your phone and one on your computer, uh, check us out on both. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever uh, other uh, vehicle you use to get your podcasts. Leave us a review, um, you know, stars, numbers, whatever the system is on that platform. Uh, and, and leave us a little note so we can see how we're doing because we really appreciate reading them. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Governor Andrew Cuomo is uh, hanging in there. Um, how, how can he hang in there? I yeah. mean, uh, the president of the United States has said you should quit. Yeah. Both U.S. senators from New York, uh, Gillibrand or yeah. Gillibrand, however yeah. she pronounces her name, and Schumer. I'm pretty sure he pronounces his name Schumer. Mm-hmm. They're both in favor of him quitting. A majority of the congressional delegation of uh, New York, uh, they're in support of him leaving. Uh, he, I think Cuomo's biggest ally uh, traditionally in Albany there, he has come out against him. I mean... I don't I'm, maybe he's still counting noses because there's like 150 people in the state assembly in New York and, and you have to have to have a majority, I think, to vote to impeach. And then analogous to the U.S. federal deal, uh, it would then go to the state Senate of New York and a two thirds vote would be required. I mean, I guess it's possible that Cuomo is, is counting heads and, and thinks at this point it isn't necessarily a done deal that he would be booted out. But how can how can he not be on his way out? I mean, so many women have come forward. And I think the only hope, maybe he's thinking of this, the only hope would be if a couple of the women, ideally maybe even more than two from his perspective, could be shown to be schemers, liars, grifters. Right. He could, he could uh, tar with the same brush all of his accusers and say, well, look, you know, the, the public is, is now understanding that uh, Mary Sue, she is a damned liar. And so yeah. you got to have questions about all the rest. Other than that, I mean, you know, these the allegations are explicit, uh, a lengthy evaluation uh, by uh, law firms uh, feeding information to the attorney general of of Cal- of uh, New York, concluding after 179 interviews that this is a pattern of misconduct by this guy since 2000. 2013, including incredibly yeah. after the launch of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. in 2018 or whatever it was. I mean, how in the world he could have done this? I mean, some people say it's just the power of testosterone. It just totally overcomes your sense, your common sense, your logic, your intelligence. And if you're basically kind of a bully uh, and you've got this power and it feels good to, uh, to exercise the power. So I get back to the initial question. How, how in the world with all of this uh, stacked against him, how does yeah. he think he can survive? So uh, everybody has been knocking the door down, trying to talk to Carl Hesty. Hesty, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's the speaker of the uh, the state legislature. Isn't um, he the guy that I was describing as his his big friend, who's now turned against him? Uh, yeah, he may well be. I think so. But 
basically Hesty's or Hesty's responses in interviews so far have, have been, look, we got to get this right. Everybody basically agrees uh, that we're going to go forward with an impeachment trial. So there's going to be an impeachment. But that's as we saw from Trump's impeachment trial in the Senate that can involve calling witnesses or not. And of course, Cuomo's legal team would love to call these women as witnesses, force them to appear, which they will not want to have to do and answer questions, which can be, you know, just a terrible experience to actually have to go through and also can ruin uh, anonymity if you're trying to preserve that or at least keep some degree of anonymity. There's a big difference between some random name in a, in a newspaper article criticizing someone or something and having to appear on television to to uh, to make those same criticisms. And not everybody, you know, is going to be a. Stanford professor like Christine Blasey Ford and have the uh, uh, the uh, the eloquence and the, you know, the the stamina and the wherewithal to be able to make uh, this sort of uh, television appearance. And right. Cuomo, of course, is counting on these people not wanting to ruin their lives uh, just to get justice. Uh, and so he thinks you know, they've already course, kind of cl- crossed the Rubicon. They've some of them. Public. Have. Yeah, some of them. You're, I mean, you're right. Not all. Some some have remained nameless, although when we've got. Uh, a female state trooper who's part of his security detail, the one who who described that Cuomo would uh, touch her when they were uh, in an elevator together alone and make comments, um, uh, uh, sexually uh, explicit comments um, and flirtatious comments when he's, you know, the governor and, and her job is to protect him. Um, how many people is that really? Has it narrowed it down too much for her to really re- remain anonymous regardless? And that's a terrible situation to be in. I mean, it, it almost is worse to not uh, not be able to come out if people are going to out you uh, as the accuser involuntarily. And just think about what, what if it's multiple? What if it's multiple women uh, that are in the security detail guarding the governor? All of them are going to uh, you know, be tarred as uh, some sort of, you know, by Cuomo's supporters or anybody else who just, you know, hates when women come out and meet two men. Uh, and, and they're all going to be, you know, unfairly targeted. This is a terrible situation to be put in. And Cuomo's legal defense team is, of course, going to take full advantage of how terrible a situation that is, try to drag out the process. So the state assembly in uh, in uh, New York is looking at this as a multi-week project. This is not, you know, an impeachment that's going to happen tomorrow or uh, maybe maybe not even at the, by the end of August. Uh, who knows? But it's a process that they really want to cross all their T's and dot all their I's because they're worried that without a perfect impeachment process, Cuomo will pull a Donald Trump. And that makes sense. But I mean, from Cuomo's perspective, if at the end of the day, he's virtually certain that he's going to lose, why put himself and everybody else through that? Yeah. I mean, the man's the man seems like a mob boss, right? He's he's that's his attitude. That's the, the, he grew up in the governor's mansion, right? His father was a governor. He, he's yep. not leaving except in a body bag is his attitude. He, there's, there's no way uh, that he's going to bow out of this because that would be, as Trump has shown, that would be admitting defeat. And you can just gin up enough support by never backing down and never it, admitting defeat. Is it really fair for Biden and, and the other big Democrats to be to be uh, saying, like, get out now, given the Al Franken situation? I, I mean, I, I really think Al Franken was ridden out of town on a rail by fellow Democrats in the U.S. Senate who just didn't like the idea that there's a big time Democrat as uh, the object of, of, of criticism in the Me Too context. I mean, when you compare the number of women and the kinds of things that were uh, the subject of the accusations against Franken, I, yeah, I think there's a good case for him ha- having said, look, you know, do do what you have to do. Uh, I'm, I'm going to defend myself. But he was just swept out. He was fairly new in, in the Senate. 
I, I mean, for Biden to stand up the day after the report came out and say, well, I'm not going to fly spec the report. You know, real classy metaphor, uh, Mr. President, yeah. you know, com- comparing picking out pieces of evidence among the allegations uh, against Cuomo to looking for fly poop in a bag of rice. I mean, they have an interest in sort of cleansing the party, maybe even at the at the expense of due process. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, obviously uh, due process is important. Um, it, it is also um, I mean. I think that it is very dangerous to fall back on one case in the past about which we now have questions or even then had questions and say, okay, was this guy ridden out of town on a rail and say, well, therefore, people shouldn't call for the resignation of other people who have much stronger evidence against them. I mean, it's all a sliding scale, right, of of, of evidence against this person, the credibility uh, of uh, the people who are accusing them. I mean, if you compare the credibility of Leanne Tweeden to, to these people, I mean, it doesn't it, there's no there's no uh, magic uh, answer and a magic bullet for whether this person truly was, uh, you know, unfairly accused versus uh, uh, justifiably uh, removed from office. You have to take every single case on a case by case basis, of course, but you can't let past examples uh, cloud your judgment in this movie, this way moving forward. As you and I sit here, it's very clear that Cuomo should not be the governor of New York anymore. Right. New York would be better off if he weren't. It. Everybody can kind of see uh, the the truth of these accusations and how unlikely it, it would be uh, for uh, uh, for all of these accusers of Al Franken to be somehow con- I mean sorry of uh, of uh, uh, Cuomo to be somehow conspiring because of the mountain of evidence. I don't think it's it's out of line for a guy like Joe Biden who is the leader of you know the Democratic Party and it, at the moment and and you know is is an arbiter of, of of our society and our culture and our decision-making and our morality to say, it's easy to make this call just because there have been bad calls made in the past. Potentially. I think that he's got to make these calls. I think it's a better world if he does. That's interesting. I didn't know Joe Biden was the arbiter of our our culture, but you, you may be, you may be right. He doesn't know what our culture is. Uh, He's, you know, uh, just sort of hanging out while the the tweens on TikTok determine what culture is. And then he filters it out, but he wore that tan suit this week and he pulled it off. That, yeah, he rocked that suit. He did. Uh, We both used this phrase. Uh, ridden out of town on a rail. It's gotten me thinking, how exactly does that work? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, mean, if I think if I were being ridden out of town on a rail, I don't think I could stay up on the rail. I think I would fall. I, I don't think I, they could I, get me to the city limits before no. I would fall off. So yeah. how, how is that even effective? It's got to be, it might not show this way in some sort of, in, in, in whatever movie we're, we're thinking of, we actually saw it happen, but they got to tie you to the rail, right? Like that's the point of the rail is to have somebody to tie un- you to. That seems unfair. <laughs> when we come back, we are going to talk about our uh, third and final topic here. And it's something that everybody's been, uh, you know, we've been talking about the vaccine. We've been talking about a, a lot of other issues. But I, I want to get into an issue uh, that uh, it's really had uh, a, a serious effect on our thinking. And it's kind of a polarizing topic. Should Ashley Babbitt, the QAnon lady who was shot dead at the January 6th Capitol riot, should her parents be able to sue the Capitol Police for $10 million? Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So one of the uh, tragic aspects of the January 6th riot was the fact that Ashley Babbitt, who was a military veteran, but also reportedly a big QAnon fan, uh, was shot dead. 
And uh, the right wing has been talking for months and months about how there's a shroud of secrecy over this case. You know, if anybody is shot by cops these days, doggone it, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to get to the names of the cops. We're going to find out about their background. You know, is this a pattern and so on? But for some reason, uh, the name of the cop, the Capitol Police officer uh, who allegedly shot her dead, has kind of remained a secret. So yeah, now I'm- her parents have come forward and sued for $10 million for wrongful death. You uh, have a prediction, Connor, as to how this is going to be received? Yeah, it's a pretty straightforward prediction. There's a 0% chance that they're successful. Uh, They will absolutely uh, fail, but they will succeed in making it a public spectacle of of, of biblical proportions, uh, and uh, they will uh, provide a lot of fuel for for people who want to turn her death into a political football. This is so different than, you know, other police shootings because this is somebody who was involved in the January 6th insurrection, right? This is this is an attack on the U.S. Capitol, right. uh, either spontaneous or, or uh, planned or a combination of both, combination of both, of course, um, where people, you know, broke into the seat of our democracy and threatened the lives of our representatives, undermining the the concept, the very concept of democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. This is a manifestation of Trump's war on uh, the foundations of our country. This woman died in the course of of doing that. She's not the only one who died. Um, For for example, three of the police officers, uh, Capitol police officers who were defending the Capitol at the time have died by suicide since January 6th. This is certainly uh, many people. One got one uh, officer, I believe, lost an eye. This is not a bloodless uh, uh, situation because people usurped the monopoly of on of, uh, of force uh, that we hand over to police officers in this country. Now, police officers in this country don't always correctly use that monopoly of force, which is why we have the legal system to be able to hold them accountable. I don't think it does a very good job most of the time, but I can see how, you know, everybody it's such a complicated situation to say, well, there's uh, somebody who we can objectively say was doing a bad, wrong thing. Not objectively, obviously, it's subjective, but I'm saying it was doing a bad, wrong thing and they ended up dead. In that scenario, I can draw the analogy. I get it to somebody who, say, was engaged in whatever you want to call criminal behavior and then ends up dead. Right. We don't think that it was, you know, uh, we we think that, you know, cops should only be able to use force in a a proportional way to protect life. That's the question. Why isn't this analogous to somebody looting a Kmart and the cop comes in and the cop absolutely ignores protocol, and instead of giving a verbal warning before shooting, he just, blammo, shoots the head off of the Kmart rioter. Why don't the parents of Ashley Babbitt have a right to go into court and, and say— And find out the, whether the, this the was an analogous didn't give situation. Yeah. A, a verbal warning. Yeah, we don't know exactly. Right. Well, we so regardless video, of the politics but... or the race of the shooter or the shootee yeah. or the climate of what's going on, isn't it appropriate— to hear them out and and have the wrongful death suit to proceed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You are allowed to utilize the legal system. You are allowed to seek recourse. They will not succeed in this case, almost certainly, because 
we all saw it. I mean, Ashley Babbitt's death is on video. Right. This is uh, not that that, you know, determines justice be done in this country, as we've seen with many wrongful shootings by by law enforcement officers. And I'm not exactly one, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, to jump on the bandwagon of, you know, to protect the police officers and their use of force. Absolutely not. But when you when you look at the circumstances and the 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 you know, news coverage video and the inside the building video that captured what actually happened in this case. You've got police officers who were in this circumstance defending themselves and their charges, you know, our elected representatives from people, a crowd of, of angry people who were shouting, you know, hang Pelosi and hang Pence. They were there for blood, right? This is, of course, uh, a lawsuit that, that that is justifiably filed. But as you know, you and I have talked about on, in, in this uh, on this podcast many, many times, just because you have the right to file a lawsuit doesn't mean that your lawsuit is meritorious. Mm-hmm. Filing a lawsuit and being allowed to file a lawsuit is a lot like saying uh, being allowed to have a website or put up a poster. All you got to do is go into court and pay 50 bucks or whatever the fee is to file a lawsuit. Um that I'm a defense lawyer, so I don't know what the fee is because I, I don't actually file the lawsuits. I do file counterclaims, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. My paralegal pays the fee. I don't know what it is. Um, not out of her own pocket, obviously. Uh, but this is this is uh, there's there's no there's no enforcement mechanism. There's no gatekeeping mechanism for oh this person's filed this lawsuit. They just get to do it right, and then the there are multiple steps along the way where you get. Um, uh, say, you know, for example, a, a motion for judgment on the pleadings um, or a motion for summary judgment or a motion for summary adjudication where the defendant can bring motions early in the process and say, look, judge, g- give them everything, give them every assumption that you want. Uh, their claim is that on Mars, he and I had a picnic. Uh, that's not assault. And it also didn't happen. That's crazy. Let me out of this now. And so y- you can get out of these lawsuits. But until those points, uh, they can file their 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 lawsuit and they can, you know, waste government resources uh, by doing so. Good points. Although I will say, Connor, you're not supposed to say picnic anymore. You're aware of that fact. Excuse me? You haven't heard that? You haven't heard the... No. Oh, my gosh. There is a new list out of PC forbidden phrases and words. Oh, God. There we go. Well, no, there's a historical basis. Okay, hit me. Apparently, in about 1800, you know, creepy white people in the South... Oh, who were happy about an upcoming lynching and the lynching would be announced, they would show up with their baskets of food and their blankets and they called it a picnic. These Southern racists used that word that to was refer the origin to the gathering. The I don't know if it was the origin, but they used it. And so picnic well, that's is like now saying on a racist the once drove a car. Are f- <laughs> of forbidden stuff. Similarly, on the list of forbidden phrases is rule of thumb. Have you heard about yes, that one? I have, okay. Yeah. So for those who haven't heard it, uh, back in about 1700 in England, you could not, as a husband, beat up your wife. It was uh, illegal unless the stick you used to beat her is so narrow it was only the width of your thumb. So that would make a difference depending on whether you're Wally Cox or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Everybody knows who Wally yeah. Cox was. As we've described on this uh, in on this podcast before, actually, um, as we deal with you know PC and changing uh, culture and the changing of, of language um, and how language you know, evolves over time, 
something like the rule of thumb, which some people uh, dispute the origin of and say that actually is not the origin oh. of it. Uh, the, the problem becomes Wouldn't what be if, the first time I made something up. Uh, no, no. There are people who, who say it's not, know, but I'm I not know. saying it isn't. Um, uh, we'll get to the picnic one uh, in, in, in a second. But the 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 rule of thumb one comes with a, a, a problem. What if everybody just thinks that's the origin? If everybody just thinks that's the origin, it doesn't actually matter whether it historically was because it becomes true. Yeah, it becomes true. Everybody's walking around thinking, oh, that's where right. this comes from. And if you say it, oh, man, you must well, should course, know that. That doesn't apply here because virtually nobody, like what, one out of 10 million people could say, have told you that before the story broke a few say, weeks ago. I would say that the whole rule of thumb con- uh, uh, phrase, uh, that is a, a common thing that, that I would say millennial and younger folks are more more than, often than not familiar with because it gets a factoid that gets passed around. Oh, I see. I'd never heard of it before a week so or two it, ago. It, it's a little, yeah, it, it's a little bit uh, more common and becoming more common. Certainly it has sprung back up in the last couple of weeks. Same with this uh, concept of picnic, which uh, Reuters is telling me uh, that the word picnic um comes from a 17th century French word, pique-nique, uh, and uh, it, it predates all of that. I'm sure those pique-niques in France in 17th century were probably very racist, too, uh, because everyone in the 17th century was very, very racist. But it, it really just cuts, cuts to the point of, you know, how much do we want to change uh, uh, change our language and, and how quickly? And uh, my answer is probably pretty quickly, pretty extensively, and to pretty much accommodate anybody who wants to make a change in our in our language. There are, of course, though, exceptions where we have to pull back and we say, was this a hoax? Was this something that just somebody's trying to rile us up? Um, is there a meaningful harm being done here? Which I would say rule of thumb, uh, regardless of the origin, it's so widespread now that I would say, yeah, eventually uh, that is harmful. Picnique? Um, I'm going to keep saying for now. It is time for Guess the Verdict. And you know what happens here. I give Connor a um, series of facts from a real life uh, legal dispute and he gets to guess who wins. So are you ready for this, Connor? Never, but let's let's do it. Let's go to Reno, Nevada. A Reno man. Actually, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. He uses a hidden microcomputer to help him count cards at Blackjack. Okay. The computer was hidden in his shoe. And when he would tap his toes a certain number of times, depending on what cards were revealed, the computer would transmit a message to a vibrating device placed inside his jockstrap, telling him what to do. Smart. A casino learned about the scheme and Hard they, to banned, find. they banned him from playing, saying he violated the rule against artificial advices. So he sues the casino for being banned because, wow. you know, everybody loves to go to Harris or whoever that was. Yeah. So, uh, Connor Oaks, so what's your guess in this uh, titanic legal battle between the casino and a guy who just wants to have a little fun at the tables? Who <laughs> wins the fight? Look, who hasn't been sitting at the blackjack table <laughs> and thought, I wish I was wearing a device wrapped in my jockstrap that I could tap the floor and make vibrate. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So I got nothing wrong with that. But this guy specifically using computer assistance, it does seem like it spoils the fun, right? It seems like we're oh, all the there. fun that the house has yeah. ripping off every single every gambler. Every single gambler. Yeah. We all get there and sign up and we sit down and we look down at the odds in front of us. And if we're not too drunk to calculate them, we realize, oh, we're getting ripped off every single hand of blackjack here. But we're only getting ripped off ripped off by a little bit. We're flipping an unfair and then coin. And this pretty lady is giving me a free drink. It's pretty nice, right? And by the time she comes back with my free drink, I've lost $50. 
$50. So was it really a free drink or was it a $50 uh, <laughs> Jack and Coke? Jack and Diet, actually. Uh, you got to watch your figure, uh, even <laughs> on a trip to Reno. Well, so you're watching it, her figure. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> this is, uh, I would say that this guy is uh, going to, they're going to have to change the odds to make them even more against us, stacked against us, if uh, these people, you know, come in and use outside assistance and computerized devices to, to cheat on these games. So I'm going to come down against them. I'm going to say Harris wins uh, on this case. You're right. The casino yes. won. A computer does qualify, shockingly, as an, quote, Outside. artificial device. I love it. So good job. Your track record is getting even better. Three for four. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Too Many Lawyers. Next uh, time, we're going to talk about a really big controversial issue. May Mexico sue United States gun makers? They have done it. But will it succeed? Because they have this theory that American gun makers, that, why these gun makers know the guns are going to go to the cartels, mm-hmm, it's going to mm-hmm, shred mm-hmm. Mexican society. One Absolutely. of the things, I'll give you a little little hint in advance. One of the things that Mexico points out is why the U.S. gun makers, they, they make Pancho Villa specials to specifically appeal right. to Mexican sensibilities. Sounds like, uh, sounds like people suing tobacco companies and alcohol companies. You betcha. Yeah, I love it. We're going to talk about that. Plus, on Guess the Verdict next week, a birthday cake that did not result in a happy birthday. That's mm, what Connor is going to be faced with next week. We'll see you then on Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes.